Writing and creating is great, but editing other content marketers' work takes a special kind of skill. And one of those content editing experts is Tommy Walker. He's had a career that spans over 18 years, including being the editor-in-chief at Shopify Plus. And he's seen common mistakes that content marketers make time and time again when it comes to writing. The other thing that bothers me to no end are words like ensure. No one ever says the word ensure in conversation or as a a small business owner or as a blah 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 you know blah 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 Ugh, yes i do so don't tell me i don't water is wet like i don't need to see that stuff it's why tommy created the three axioms of content marketing that guides his writing and editing process in this marketing pops episode you learn first why having a solid premise is one of the most important things when it comes to building and creating content second why content is a form of social currency third tips to make your content more shareable and number four one power up that's how tommy's career accelerate now before we get started i create a free power up cheat sheet that you can download fill in and apply tommy's three axioms of content marketing you can go to marketingpowerups.com right now or find the link in the show notes and description below are you ready Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready, go. Here's your host, Ramley John. Let's, let's jump in. Let's talk about marketing power-ups. You've been like really like working at, you probably edited and created like thousands of articles, probably more. I, I, I don't even, that's probably like underestimating you like. Uh, publish uh, and created some content and edit edit content for like Virgin XL, uh, Shopify Plus, LinkedIn, GoDaddy, the big names, and even more. You probably seen like like hundreds of mistakes, but like things <laughs> that just gets to you. I'm curious, what are things uh, on on blogs on articles that just come on, man? Like why? Yeah. <laughs> So, so there are a few different things. Like the ones that I can point out off the top of my head are like cut your first 500, 300 to 500 words, right? Like, um, generally speaking, and I've said this plenty of times, it's like it's throat clearing, right? We're trying to like get our thought out and everybody thinks that, you know, we need context. You need to get the context. If you, if you try to justify it, it's like, well, I need to have the context up front to make sure that everybody knows. And it's like, no, they click the link from wherever it was that they clicked the link. If they have a problem, whatever, they already have the context in their brain. So you don't need that. Right. Um, and, and here's an interesting, like I, I study, um, you know, not as much as I, I, I used to, but I study like how people interact with the web in general. And one of the questions I had is how many words per minute can the average American adult read, right? It's really important when you're thinking about how people interact with the screen and especially if you're writing content. So the average adult in the USA reads 238 words per minute. Interesting. Right. Reads nonfiction. You got to specify nonfiction at 238 words per minute. Yeah. So if you have an introduction that's mm. 300 to 500 words that's meandering, right? you're going to lose people. Yeah. Right? And you see this with like, you know, if you look at like YouTube graphs or if you watch heat maps, and I love to watch heat maps on the blogs itself. If you watch any of that and you see the, that retention graph just go drop down from the bottom, it's because you're not hooking people right away. So like the introduction, that's the biggest, biggest thing for me. And it, you need to be spending the majority of your time on that, right? I come from a filmmaking background before I ever got into that. And oh, one of the principles of filmmaking too is like, if you have a really solid beginning and you have a really solid end, a lot of people will be forgiving of the stuff in the middle, right? And I'm sure you could think of, if you like put just a few minutes of thought into that, I'm guarantee you, you can think of some movies where like, that was really good. And then you watch it again and you're like, but was it? You know, I kind of fell asleep in the middle there. Um, so that's that's one of like the most common things I can talk to. So like, please shut me up or cut I'll me keep off. Keep going. Give him this is fine. Um, the other thing that bothers me to no end are words like ensure. No one ever says the word ensure in conversation, right? Or as a small business owner or as a blah, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. Ugh, yes, I do. So don't tell me. I don't, water is wet. Like, I don't need to see that stuff. Um, and one of the main 
edits that I'll make majority of the time is just filler words, right? I like to edit for word economy more than anything else because it's very clear to me that word choice, like we have to understand that different words matter, right? Angry and infuriated and frustrated, like these are all different levels of the same sort of feeling. So you can mislabel different words or different ideas and not clearly communicate the idea that you're trying to come across because you're not using the appropriate word to um, communicate that level of uh, feeling, right? Or emotion if you're trying to do that. And the problem with that is you end up with five or six extra words that are completely unnecessary because you're, 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 you're trying to express it. You can't quite get it out, but you're trying to. And it just adds so much more fluff to a piece. Yeah. And there are plenty of pieces that I've edited where once I get rid of those things, right? I like say, tighten up the introduction, get rid of the word economy. I've seen pieces go from like 2000 words to 900 what? and still not get to the, the proper thought. Oh, that's crazy. Um, and then like the, the major thing, and this is the hard part it, when I work with people that I work with, um, cause I'm very selective in who my authors are, uh, cause I look for this really upfront. I try to do a lot of work upfront into doing this. It's just the, the premise of the self, the premise of the piece itself, right? What's the overall idea that we're trying to communicate? Can you communicate it in two sentences or less, three sentences or less really? And if you can't, then you need to rethink what that premise is overall. Because if you're, uh, we've all written a lot of the same types of posts, buyer intent, customer journey, blah, 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 right? If you're in B2B, you've written that article probably six different times. Um, but if you can't communicate what that premise of that piece is, what are you bringing uniquely to the table? the rest of the piece is just going to suffer. Your, your, your intro is going to suffer. The structure of the piece is going to suffer. You're going to have the word count or the words are going to be completely padded out. Those are the main things that sort of, those are the main mistakes, right? I don't like to call them mistakes, but like opportunity uh, moments that, uh, that I've seen just over the years. And experience, it doesn't even matter how experienced the person is. I've written with some people for you know, almost 10 years now, right? Different gigs, but 10, 10 years. And I still see some of this stuff. And it's not because they're bad. They're actually fantastic authors. It's just a matter of like identifying that in yourself and breaking your own patterns, right? I think that's the other part is pattern breaking because uh, there's so much that we can see in the different articles that are out there in the world where it's like, let's build up, build up, build up. Here's an idea that we're trying to get to. Descend, 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 subhead, build up, build up, build up, go down, go down, go down, subhead. And I like to think of that as a roller coaster article rather than a waterfall article. Right. And that's the, that, that's the metaphor that I try to use on a regular like basis. I think the challenge you mentioned around like, you know, the 2000 words I said, the nine, that's like so comical, uh, but I've seen it happen often because, uh, SEO and uh, keyword researchers are like, oh, you need to have an article that's like 2,000 words to rank for this keyword. And then uh, the writer is like, oh, what? You didn't give me much. I'm just going to fluff to it. Like, mm -hmm. does that, is that, that, that probably gets, gets to you. Where like, if you can say <laughs> it in 900 words, do it. <laughs> don't like, yeah. don't spread it out to try to rank for something and fill it with fluff just so that you can rank, uh, you know, keyword. SEO best practice rather than yeah so so two things right I, I I can tell I've been doing a lot with the client one of the clients I'm working with right now um actually take a step back here uh that 2,000 word word count one is arbitrary and I'll give you some evidence to back this up and it, what it reminds me of is when you were in high school and you're like I've got a 2,000 word essay and I don't know what to say so and like we're getting paid professionally. A lot of us are getting paid professionally to still write our high school level articles. And just because you get work doesn't mean you're good at the work. And I, I need I, I hate to say that because I know that there are a lot of people who who listen, who watch, who make a good living. Who still are turning in high school level articles. Um, and 
And that's okay. I mean, make your living, do what you got to do. But if you're focusing on your craft, these are things that you really, really, really need to be doing to set yourself aside from everybody else. Second, on that same note, I've been researching the SERPs for hundreds of articles at this point. I've, I've incorporated this meta-analysis in my, um, when I'm going to compete for different key phrases. And what I'm finding with Google right now is it, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, right? I'm not going to say word count doesn't matter. But what I am going to say is that a lot of what we understand, the, the, the sort of common, you know, it needs to be long form, da, 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 da. I've been seeing 400 word articles outrank 5,000 word articles. I've been seeing articles with fewer links get out, you know, out, outranked by you know, with, with big stuff, um, big companies. HubSpot really is the one that, you know, kind of. They, they set the tone for the rest of us and they're like 5,000, 7,000 yeah, words. Right? Get all these major <laughs> links and all of this stuff. And it's like, no, I only needed 700 words to get this out. And now I'm seeing in Google with these meta analysis that I'm doing, sometimes a 700 word piece is all that's necessary. Or if it's like a straight definition and it doesn't need all this context, right? Sometimes the straight definition that's like 40 words, this blew my mind. I saw a SERP, it was like 40 words, 400 words, 4,000 words. And I'm like, yeah. And like the clear correlation to me when I saw that was like, Google is now really looking at like the bigger picture. And we think, oh, oh, I could, I could get on this. I could stay on this all day long. We think that, you know, we need to give all of the information, but like, think about how much Google data really has on you like 80 something percent of the browser share is with chrome we've all got google analytics installed right it used to be that google's looking at like oh how long are you on this result and you know do you bounce off right the pogo sticking idea now it's like no google can tell how far people are scrolling down how engaged they are how much their mouse is moving around how much they're like they can see and if they're you know being real creepy looking at your webcam while you're reading this stuff i doubt they're actually doing that but I mean, maybe, you know, they have a they have a microphone in your pocket at any given point in time, right? They're looking at all this and going, hey, what's the big like what's what's the most valuable piece of content? If their goal is to serve the world with the most valuable information that they're looking for, they're gonna use a lot more than we even can comprehend to understand what value is. So, anyways. You mentioned word count, and then that just got me on this whole other. Before we continue, I want to thank those who made this video possible, 42 Agency. Now, when you are in scale-up mode and you have KPIs to hit, the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. And it's a lot to handle. Demand gen, email sequences, rev ops, and even more. That's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamworks, Sprout Social, and HubDoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of in-house, look no further. Go to 42agency.com to talk to a strategist to learn how you can build a high efficiency revenue engine now. You can find that link in the description below. Let's jump back in. Yeah, I think we can go in deep. You, you, you mentioning the scroll thing it reminds me of uh, with YouTube, they have like retention, reten audience mm -hmm. retention curve. They probably hidden in the background, have something like that, knowing like, oh, oh, they don't scroll all the way. You know, they always call 30% is a bad content versus like yeah. a content, uh, a video that does like a Mr. Beast video that has 80 to 90% audience retention yeah. um, that probably gets promoted more. So that's super interesting that uh, you did mention that around Chrome, that they do have access uh, to I that, mean, you know? I mean, and, and that's the thing is YouTube is owned by Google, right? So like, you can't tell me, I mean, I've worked within large orgs, so probably there's not a lot of information sharing that goes along, but there's permutations of algorithms and the main things, and I run the YouTube channel too, right? Um, and you have a YouTube channel. So the main things that they care about, right? Cause they're robots. So they can't really tell, um, if something resonates is, uh, click through rate, right? Uh, how long people are staying on, do you have comments and likes? And if that's the case and you're talking about subject matter that everybody else is talking about, how are you going to know as a robot whether or not something is good, right? Retention graph, do people click? Are they staying? And are people talking about it? Like that's, 
that's it. That's all they have for information. So how can you optimize for those things? Human centric, human centric uh, bits of information, right? And that's where, I mean, that's where it's always been. That's where it was, had been headed in the technology now, especially with the AI that's out there. Like, that's, that's just where it's going. That's where it's going. That's where it's always been. And now the, the tools are available to, like, really make that the case. That makes sense. We're, we're, I think that's, it, that kind of relates to one of your three axioms of uh, content marketing around social currency. But well, let's jump into that. You uh, put together these three axioms uh, that you used to guide you creating like content and developing content specifically for mm-hmm. for SaaS. Uh, and it's reflective of how people consume that that content now. Uh, and one of the first one is, and we've already been chatting about this, that uh, you you will get. Uh, like you will get eighty percent of the, um, you know, the, the, the you will a get solid you, premise yeah, you will get you eighty percent of the way there. Yep. Yeah, so you totally got that. Yeah. I'm curious how that relates to the content marketing and uh, yeah. Sure. So, so a solid premise will get you eighty percent of the way there. I come from a filmmaking background mm. before, before I ever got into um, marketing. Right. A solid premise of a piece or content in general, content with a capital C, so podcasts, uh, video, whatever. People are going to be forgiving of ums, ahs, not necessarily bad video quality or bad video quality, but you need good audio quality for any of this stuff. They're going to be forgiving of a lot of things if the core idea of what it is you're trying to communicate is really there. I'm sure that you've listened to podcasts. I can guarantee you have listened to podcasts. I have listened to podcasts. Other people who are listening to this podcast are forgiving of, you know, maybe your guest mic isn't as good as your mic, right? Or maybe the the core idea of what it was that they were talking about was really good and you'll be forgiving of ums and ahs and like, or a dog barking in the background, right? Little, little things. Um, so a solid premise is really what you need uh, to, to sort of center the idea around. But the other idea behind that is you need to give people something to latch onto. And this is, you know, I could say like, oh, attention spans have been dwindling over the last year. No, this has always been the case. You need a solid premise. So let me give you an example of a couple, couple of premises. Premise, premises? Premises. Um, I think both work, right? Uh, word choice matters. Um, so let me give you an idea, or let me give you a couple ones, and and see if you can tell me, just from the premise, okay. I like this game. What this property is, okay? So, uh, this is a show about seven strangers picked to live in a house, work together, live together, and oh, okay. uh, have their lives filmed. Big Brother, is that? This is what this is what people are. Um, this is what it likes. This is what it's like when stop people stop being polite and start getting real. What's that premise? Probably Big Brother or like some kind of like social. Ah, is that it's, it's, the, it's the real world. Oh, the real. Oh, man. Shoot. I didn't watch the real that. world. I didn't have MTV when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, yeah. OK, so but but the thing is, is Big Brother had the same. Yeah, right. They last a, a, the a modified version of yeah, that. Premise, you're right. Interesting. Right? right. What are what's it like when a bunch of people live in a house that they can't leave? Right. That's that's the the modified version of that premise. And when you have a solid premise, people will come up with their own permutations of that premise, which will only solidify the validity of the original premise. Right. Um, This is a show uh, about uh, uh, a bakery in New Jersey, family run bakery in New Jersey, who likes to make uh, very complicated, uh, intricate cakes. Cake boss, right? Cake boss. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm not crazy. And then many permutations right. of cake boss. This is what happens when amateur chefs work with a professional chef mm. in a competition. And that am- and that professional chef has a, a bit of a temper. Oh, uh, kitchen. Uh, Hell's kitchen. Hell's kitchen. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like these premises, you can wrap your head around it. Right. And that's the thing that gets you involved. You go to you watch any movie trailer, right? And if that movie trailer communicates what the premise of that movie is, you're and you you're like, oh, that aligns with what I'm doing, like or what I like. Cool. The Avengers are finally fighting 
Thanos, who we've been building up to for years, right? Like, you know, there, there's just a, a solid premise will, if you deliver on that premise, a solid premise will get people through the door. And if you deliver on that premise and you continuously deliver on multiple premises or the main premise of the overall work that you're trying to do, uh, people will keep coming back. And that's going to be important and plays into my third axiom. Um, but people will be forgiving of the execution as long as you keep delivering on that premise and as long as you are continuously trying to do better with that premise. Interesting. Right. So that's a, a solid premise will get you 80% of the way there. I love this example. I'm like, the first thing that came to my mind was around like John Wick, where it eventually got copied, where like, guy, dog, dog gets killed by a bad guy, goes on a revenge spree, kills everybody. And now, like everybody, yeah. a, a bunch of copy a movies like copy that pretty much uh, that same premise exactly. How does this? I'm curious how this applies did to you, uh, to blogs. I want to I want to talk about John. John okay, Wick let's talk about John Wick first. Funny. <laughs> did you Did you ever see the movie Tropic Thunder? Oh, yes, I have seen Tropic okay. Thunder. So so John Wick was basically his car was destroyed, his dog was killed. Now he's going to kill everyone. Right. Tropic Thunder, they make fun of something like that with Ben Stiller's character because they talk about one of his action heroes characters in the sequel. And he's like, this time he's going to kill everyone again. And it's like, that's John Wick 2. Exactly. That's John Wick 3. Yeah, that's John, John Wick, Wick 4. 4. And then there's now right? the ballerina, which is like the spinoff, which is right. pretty much. Right. Same. This time he's going to kill everyone <laughs> again. Again. And it's like, yeah, that's and that's a premise like the execution of those movies is fantastic. But it was the premise that, you know, he's going to kill everyone. That's a premise that so many action movies are built off of in the first place. And you're like, yes, that's a cool premise. I like it. I'll watch it over and over again. Sidebar on that. If you also look at how a lot of these movies are marketed, the trailer or the um, the trailers are all identically cut and the posters. There's a lot of similarities. I wrote on this years ago about color theory. Um the posters will all use similar color schemes and composition because it's familiar, even if it's a bunch of different movies. So anyways. No, that makes sense. And I, I see your show, The Cutting Room, is very similar. You have a premise. You invite people, mm -hmm. they, they cut live. And the, the, mm -hmm. the premise is the same. Same with the show, like marketing power-ups. People share a framework that's, that's helped them. Yep. Um, yeah, we talk about the content marketing philosophy process in pregame before you edit an article live. I, I we have industry leaders from, you know, uh, well-known companies. It, it, like, it's very easy to wrap your head around. So, yeah. This also, I feel like, applies to, it, this probably really applies to even content, uh, article content, like blog posts, where a good thesis or, like, a good opinion uh, will get you 80% of the way there. Where, like, mm -hmm. you know, a fluff piece, it's going to be, <laughs> you can feel it as much, but if, you have a strong opinion or like you interview some experts or you have data, that premise will you get you there 80% more. Uh, is that, is that what, uh, how this can apply to like written content, so to speak? Absolutely. And from a, there, you've got the, the major, the, the overarching level and then the individual piece level. And what a lot of us, when we write content for blogs, when we create videos, when we do podcasts, like I really like to think about this as content with a capital C, but when, when you look at the overarching theme, right, of the blog, of the channel, of the whatever, there has to be an overarching cohesive narrative. So when I was at Shopify Plus, the overarching narrative, we had a couple from a different brand level, but for the blog, it laddered up to something else. Um, the, the company itself, the brand narrative behind Shopify Plus set by Lauren Paddleford, absolutely amazing, was burning down the enterprise. Burning right? down there. That's right. Awesome. Because at the time, nobody was nobody was taking cloud e-commerce seriously uh, and and people were being overcharged and it was really complicated and all of this other stuff. The premise that laddered down to or what we laddered up to on the blog was what can happen when technology gets out of the way. Mm. Right. And then every piece that we wrote. Really kept that in mind. Right. If we were writing about wrapping paper. Right. Like <laughs> adding add on sales with wrapping paper. Interesting. Because there's that. there's right. gift wrapping your your right. uh, content or the gift drafting your things can add uh, so many dollars per rev or per order. And then over time. Mm. Right. A lot of times with the old systems, 
it would be difficult to implement a wrap a gift wrapping widget, right? It could take you six months. What happens when technology gets out of the way? You can implement this strategy that you've been wanting to do very easily. You can do it in weeks or you can do it in minutes instead of months, right? So like everything has to ladder up to a meta premise. Um, and that's been sort of the overarching theme of the publications I've run is it's like, what can we find that's the through line between all the pieces that we create? And then how do we look at that on an individual level? This kind of hit me around like this term that product marketers are trying, throwing around, like company narrative, where like our product mm -hmm. narrative, where like there's this thread line that kind of flows through um, not just like content with a capital C, but landing pages, ads, like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, everything. Uh, their executives being on uh, on podcasts where they talk about this narrative. Is that, I guess that's how that this is fitting in, in this world where like content marketing and product marketing is kind of colliding uh, in one one yeah. place. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think as, I think business leaders, brands, large brands can really overcomplicate it. Um, I think there's, it's a lot simpler than a lot of what we right. kind of talk about in these spaces. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, it's starting to come together a lot more than it ever used to um, as, as the space matures. And I think that's great. I think it's a great thing. Love it. Uh, let's, let's jump into the second axiom. Uh, and it is super interesting around how decisions are made in Slack and mm -hmm. Slack's taken over the world, in the, uh, the business world uh, specifically. And the, if you can do it in a chat, do it. If you don't have to do yeah. a meeting, but I'm curious how this applies to content marketing. I'm guessing it's around shareability or like, uh, yeah, I'm curious how this applies to content. Yeah, so this is especially once everybody got locked down, mm. uh, it became a much bigger thing. But decisions are made in private channels, mm. right? If I see a piece of content that I like, who am I sharing it with internally? And this kind of weaves into the other, my, my third axiom too, but like decisions are made in Slack. We're going to have discussions about a piece of content in channels that nobody can see, right? It's fine. Like a lot of us will go, hey, let's, let's get our stuff shared across social media and try to do all of that. But if you can get into a channel you cannot measure and you're starting a discussion around that, somebody likes this podcast, for example, and they share it with their colleagues, you're in a much better spot. So when you go and put out an offer, right? Say you wanted to put out a, a, a coaching offer or, you know, um, a framework that is you, people can buy, right? The decision to make that, if it's not something, if it's a little bit of a higher investment, which is, you know, I work in the B2B SaaS space, so usually it is, um, those conversations are going to be the thing that leads to a sale. And we have to think about when we create what conversation, and this is like, this is the thing that I really try to think about, is what conversation between the, the two different groups that are going to be involved in a buying committee, what, what are you trying to spark? What's that conversation? So um, we might write a piece where it's a, it's a software company. Uh, we'll say customer service, right? We'll, we'll say it's a customer service platform. I'm just coming up with this stuff off the top of my head. But the piece is around the, the premise of the piece is here's how customer service software can inform marketing, right? You're creating a piece that will bridge a gap between two parts of a company that those conversations can be overlapping, which if you're in the position where, you know, the part of the internal dialogue within the company, they're going, you know, we really need to change platforms right now, right? You're, you're one, bringing another group into that conversation, but two, you're facilitating conversations inside, right? Inside those channels that we as marketers can't see. And when people look at our stuff, we see it as direct. And then we go, man, we can't do anything with direct. Why aren't we optimal? Like, but people are looking at this stuff from channels we can't see. And if you end up in a buying conversation, I've been on plenty of buying committees at this point, People will share, you know, hey, here's why I think this company is the best one to look at. Look, they understand our problem way better than anybody else, right? And that goes back to the premise where if you can understand and communicate somebody's problem as well as if not better than they can, right? You're, you're putting words that they 
or you're, you're giving a voice to problems that they might have, that's going to be the thing that leads to decision-making further down the road because you're, you're thinking about the conversations that people are going to be having with each other, which will then lead to decision-making. So that's kind of the bigger, the bigger element to that. And then it weaves into the third premise or the, the third axiom, which is uh, content is a form of social currency, right? A lot of when we create content, we're trying to think, we're thinking about, hey, what does this say about me, right? What kind of content am I creating that it's going to say about me, right? But just like the clothes we wear or the music we listen to or uh, the movies we watch, the things that we share with people and present in the world speak to our identity. It speaks to our taste. I don't know. I mean, I guarantee you that if someone says, hey, what's your favorite movie right now? Part of you stiffens up. Because you're like, oh my God, if I share what my actual favorite movie is right now, they're going to think less of me, right? Who's your favorite comedian? Like, you don't have to answer that question, right? <laughs> but like, you know, that all plays into what these things say about us and our level of intelligence and our level of, you know, uh, learnedness. Um, it, it speaks so much to that. And if we're able to create in a way that says something about our reader when they decide to share it, we want to make them look good when they share this stuff. So, you know, from personal experience, my show is like the thing that I have the most about or the most experience with this right now, or at least the closest personal experience with this. Um, I know what I want it to say about people when they share it with somebody else, right? With, and we have three very tightly defined audiences. Um, and I'll say with our freelancer audience, I've seen... I've heard, I haven't seen this because uh, it's, it's outside of my sphere of influence now, um, which is great, uh, is freelancers will share it with other freelancers because they're learning from the type of people that they want to write for, right? They're trying to get an understanding of how somebody at a high growth startup or at an enterprise level company thinks so then they can create content or better their content to start writing for those types of people. Um, and when they share it with other people within their network, they're going, oh, my God, look at this like cool hidden resource. It's a gem. Like I'm, I'm quoting other people right now. I'm, I'm really not trying to blow myself up on this. Um, I'm very grateful for any time and attention that uh, we get. I mean, as a creator, you know this, right? Um, but it says something about them when they share it. And I kind of have an idea of what I want my show to say about the people when they share it and that's just something that i think a lot of content creators in general aren't really thinking about it's like what does this say about me and my company and it's like no what does it say about your reader and what it is that they when they're sharing something so and if you're weaving that into the decisions are made in slack right if you have a junior marketer going in and saying like hey this is an article i think is really good and then people in the company don't think it's really good. That, I mean, genuinely, like gen, genuinely, it says something about their taste and it can promote or, you know, keep their career back. Mm, right. Right. Like, like we have to really consider the stakes of what it means when somebody shares our stuff. You share a bunch of crappy stuff to your boss and they're going to look at you and like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Like, exactly. You know, when, when it comes time to like the promotion and, you know, does this person play well with others and all of this other stuff, that's something that's being considered whether we think about it consciously or not. Yeah. It's true. And your, your, your opinion of somebody else is going to change based on what they share and what they present with the world. I think your hat is super cool. You, the way you present yourself is like a really cool person, right? I would want to hang out with you. I think you have really good taste in clothes. If I wanted to go clothes shopping, I'd be like, yo, what do you think? <laughs> I would have done. Right? Like, Super cool. It makes sense, though. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, content is a form of social currency. Uh, to recap, a good premise will get you 80% mm -hmm. of the way there. Decisions are made in Slack, and content is a form of social currency. Mm -hmm. I think if you nail these things, right, and this is sort of like a sub axiom or something, if you nail these things, you're going to get repeat visitors, which should mm. be, in my mind, a North Star metric, because if you're not getting repeat visitors, 
how are you ever ending up in the consideration set? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like we always optimize for new visitors and we're like, SEO will bring, bring us new traffic. But it's like, yeah, but if that new traffic doesn't return, if they, I mean, you know, how many key phrases do you have to go, go after for the same person to be typing in all of those things to then go, you know what, this is the company I want to go with. No, you want repeat visitors. You want people sharing this stuff internally. You, you want these things. Um, so you become part of the consideration set. People have said for years, no trust and like, and it's like, I think that's such BS because there is no, no trust or like metric in Google analytics. Right. But there are these proxy things that we can't measure, but really give you an idea of um, how decisions are actually made and if people are going to make an actual purchase from you, which mm. ultimately is the goal, right? We want people to buy our stuff. So good. I have, there's so much good stuff you said there. Um, I have a few follow-up questions around. First of all, the, the, the second axiom is really, you're really talking about this term. First time I heard it last year, like dark social. <laughs> so mm-hmm. How do you find out that it's getting... I mean, maybe it's impossible. Like, do you just ask people, um, hey, did you share our stuff on your yeah. company? Nope. Or like, you don't. There's no way. You don't. There's no. Yeah. Nope. All right. Totally. No idea. It makes no sense. idea. And I am not the person who coined dark social. Um, not even a little bit. Uh, the first person I heard it from, I'll give credit where credit's due, is Brooklyn Nash. Um, and great dude. Uh, follow his stuff. Um yeah, but I have I have no idea. I have no you you'll have no idea. You just have to have like for me, it's a matter of trusting the process, always trying to up level your work, try to improve your skills uh, incrementally, and then trust that that people are uh, having these conversations. And I know when you say to the boss, you know, trust me, bro, <laughs> um, that never goes over well because there is also no trust me, bro metric. Right, but that's true. I, I think one of the things, if you wanted to look at a metric, um, first of all, like let, let's get into the weeds a little bit. Try to do as much attribution modeling as you can. You know, uh, UTM, all of your things, and and do all the tracking things that are possible that none of us actually do because it's too time consuming and we're lazy. Um, but then also look at your direct traffic, right? Like if you're looking at a report, look at your direct traffic because. Aside from the things that are misattributed, right? If you think about what's misattributed, you're looking at type in traffic, which is something you absolutely want. And you've got people coming from places you'll never see. Um, And I think that's one that we sleep on a lot and something we should really consider a little bit more, especially if we're using best practices on all of our tracking links and stuff. That's one where we can go like, okay, these are things we can't see, we can't tell, but these are also really, really good indicators that we're doing something right i feel like the three axioms kind of go like work so well together you're talking about social currency and I'm, one of my questions was around like how do you increase social currency you talked about you know making sure that you understand the people's problem but also having a great premise like makes it easier to share to folks and talk about like you're talking about like real world uh as like seven people stuck in our house like it's easy you can say it in one sentence versus like yeah. Something super complicated. Uh, I forgot if I was watching somebody pitch a movie in on YouTube once, where like if you can't say it in one or two sentences what the movie's premise is, then pe- the um, you know producer and sex wouldn't accept it. And I feel like that's another way to really increase social currency is having a strong yep. premise. Uh, is yep. a good example. Yeah, I mean, if you can't communicate it in a couple of lines, it's like guys, like we need to get away from as much trust me, bro, as possible. <laughs> Even even when it's like saying to your boss, like, trust me, bro, like, this is a good thing. If you can't communicate to your friend or to your colleague, like, hey, this is what this piece is about. And I think it's going to be re- like, I think it's really going to help us because X, Y, Z things. They're not going to look at it. They're, they're, and you've just wasted, you know, five seconds trying to copy and paste and click it in and try to convince somebody to read it. Right. I send stuff to my wife all the time and like. And I, I think maybe one out of five things I can get her to read because I'm just like, watch this. And she's like, why? And I'm like, because it's good. She's that's like, so I don't have time. That's so I'm like, and that's my wife, right? Like, I love my wife. I read everything. I, I watch every TikTok she sends me. You know. Not the other way around. <laughs> right. But she sends me TikToks. It's like, you know, very yeah, short things. I'm like, hey, watch this 30-minute video. And she's like, I'm, no. That's so good. That's so 
I, I guess like thank you for sharing the three. I'm curious if you have an example, um, whether it's something you've seen before or written mm -hmm. or like that you've created in the past that kind of embodies these three axioms really, really well. Yeah. Um, so I, again, I don't like being self-promotional. Like I, I think even though I've mentioned the show and I've like, there was a piece I wrote years ago that was called um, the four uh, reasons or the four important metrics what was it the four reasons the, the four major goals of content marketing right the four four goals and the first one was to be discussed the second one was to be shared third one was to generate leads and the fourth one was to generate sales and the idea behind this is when you think about these goals right you've got your premise in place um and now as you get into the actual execution of the thing that you're trying to do you have to have this one singular minded focus as you're, as you're going from thoughts to fingertips and it needs to be difficult, right? I imagine like this demon that I'm trying to force into my screen that it like doesn't want to go. It's like, it's like a, this rabid thing that I'm trying to push out and into the screen and it fights and struggles the entire time. But if you're writing with the intention of getting shared, right? Like, you're really infusing that type of energy. You're going to start doing things like, you know, taking little moments where, hey, is this a tweetable thing? Can I say this? And, you know, it used to be 120 characters or 140 characters. Can I make this line something people are going to want to copy and paste and put out there? Um, can I, you know, or if you go to like something to be discussed, right? Can I put something in here? Can I put a question or a hot take or something in here that gets somebody so heated right that they're going to want to talk about it publicly or not heated but like you know any sort of an actual visceral emotional response that they'll want to talk about it publicly or to this was a little bit further back but like or now get them to talk about it privately right in channels you can't measure right um can i create these questions can i get people thinking and be contemplative and want to talk about this stuff so be shared be discussed generate leads. Again, you still need to have a solid premise to generate that lead. So uh, just be self-promotional again. Um, I created something called The Vault, which is all of the different editors that I've had on my shows. We've now taken those edits and made them publicly available. Um, that's to, it's not really to generate leads. I mean, eventually I'll put out an offer for that, but um, that's to generate leads and to generate sales. Then it's like, hey, now that you've seen all of this, um, you know, here's an offer that's related to all of these other things, right? And all of those steps map to different goals that we would actually have of like, hey, let's generate traffic. Let's, you know, get leads, like let's make sales. They do map to different parts of the funnel, but that wasn't the idea. That piece that embodied those three axioms that I'm talking about, about those four uh, different goals, that piece was discussed in private Slack channels, right? on somebody who was doing a, somebody who runs a podcast, an agency that runs a podcast. And then they invited me to the podcast to talk about that specific piece. That's cool. And it's because I knew the premise of the piece was solid. Mm. I knew that I wanted it to be discussed because that's how I wrote it. Um, I knew the premise was good. I knew it was going to be shared. Um, and, uh, and then it was a form of social currency because the person who shared it, it was a, it was the leader of the company sharing it with the rest of the company saying, hey, we need to read this. Everybody needs to check this out, right? And you see that with like larger organizations too, or you, you don't see that with larger organizations is your like VP will go, hey, everybody to their private, you know, internal team newsletter, where it's like, check this out. This is really good. That's, that's how you're like infiltrating. And then if you can get people's attention, no matter what, then they're going to keep coming back to you. I love that. I love that that, that kind of really embodies those three. You were able to go on this podcast because you had a good premise, shared on Slack or some kind of private messaging, and it had good social cards. Appreciate you yeah. sharing that. I want to I want to switch gears and talk about career power ups. Now you've been in content marketing now for over eighteen years. I know I mentioned some of the companies that you you worked with earlier, but curious something that's helped you accelerate your career, whether that's something like a soft skill or like a writing skill. What's something help you like 
accelerate your 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 career so that you you have this leg up to other folks. Honestly, and I hate to say this because I know how it sounds, but it's it's operating off of these principles, right? Yeah. And as these principles have evolved over time, um, to give you an idea, I've been in this space for a long time. I've been doing this for a long time, but I started my career in a boarding house. I was making like I had seven hundred dollars a month for rent, and I think no, it was a six hundred dollar a month rent, and I was making seven hundred bucks. Like there was a lot of bologna sandwiches. Right. Um, because I could afford bread, mustard and bologna and I hate bologna now. Um, but putting the work out into the world and kind of developing these ideologies um, is something that uh, has worked really well when I and when I um, put in the application for CXL, that was like the first real big gig. Right. I had a body of work that I had built out before that that was like hey, this guy really seems to understand what it means to create good content. And that's really what it is for me, is it's mm. like create good content. And you can apply a lot of these methodologies with the right research to a lot of different areas. Um, and then that work, you know, that work there, uh, CXL gave me a platform. That's what got me recruited into Shopify. Mm. That's what got me invited to uh, a conference um, that I had spoke at once failed miserably at, but the premise of the thing was good. Uh, I started consulting with the folks over at, uh, at QuickBooks. Um, and then when it nice. was time to move, I said, you know, I built out an operation uh, with them at QuickBooks. Jimmy Daly actually ran it. Um, and once I built that out and Jimmy was ready to move on to do animals, then I was like, hey, let me fill in. Right. Mm. And then they had the layoff. And then I started my own business. And then you know, having this whole body of work that's come before it, now it's like the content studio. Uh, it, there's 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 a little bit of a trust. There's a reputation within the space um, because of those things. So the the thing that has really been the power up has been focusing on these areas mm. through the writing yeah. uh, and the and the content creation in general to then get people thinking, get people talking, get people sharing, get people doing you know, having discussions and making decisions like it's just been an, uh, an accumulation of that. So I wish I had like any hacks. It's just been a lot of hard work no, and trusting the process. It reminds Brendan Hufford said something similar in in his episode, episode 18, that just just came out that one of his power ups is uh, around a book that he read from Carl Newport, like be so good, people can't ignore you. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about this, like you build up your skill around this, that you're so good that it opened up the next door, essentially. Yep. And then I think that kind of speaks to, to that, like investing in your skill, doubling down and like honing your craft. And this axioms mm -hmm. didn't, this three axioms probably were built over 18 years of your career to figure out, oh, uh, you know, people share over stuff before. Yeah. From as it gets you there. So I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I mean, the, the filmmaking background really helps mm. too, because like I, I grew up as a, I went to a conservatory for dramatic arts, right? Wow. film and television and uh that was one of those things where once i started seeing the parallels between the two where like customer service is improv um you know market research is script analysis uh you know like there's a lot of like story structure is story structure no matter what like this screen that you and i are talking on right now isn't very different it's just more interactive than the movie screens or tv screens of the past now is easier than ever to implement these things and uh and get in front of the right people so linkedin um or twitter right you get in front of the right people and you have these solid premises they're going to share you're going to spread and we've seen this you know i've seen a handful of people now over the last couple of years just blow up out of nowhere uh name drop two people right now um erica schneider who a lot of people know now uh a year ago she was like i'm good on linkedin but like i don't know twitter i'm not as good on twitter now it's like she's got, I don't even know how many people following her. And then Amanda Natividad is another one where she went to like 200,000 followers on Twitter in a very short period of time because she understood who the seed audiences were um, and what those people, how those people shared and what they shared and then started creating stuff that was like within that sweet spot of what they'd share, but also with her own unique take on this. So it's like, 
now is easier than ever if you're able to uplevel your skills and understand what it is that gets people to share. That takes a lot of research. Yeah. It, it takes a lot to understand what it's going to be, like what something is going to say about somebody when they share. Um, but if you're able to focus on that technique and that craft, it is easier than ever now to uh, have those connections. The hard part is the execution. Mm. I love it. Thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, second to last question, if you can give yourself a message uh, and you know, a message that travel back back to time 18 years ago when Tommy was starting up <laughs> his content marketing career, what would that piece of advice be? Once again, it could be uh, around content, it could be marketing, it could be around writing, or it could be a, a soft skill. Like, What would advice be to that younger version of you? Don't lose hope. Mm, wow. Don't don't lose hope. Just let that sink in. <laughs> that's so that's so deep. I love it. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Well, that was a fun and informative chat. It got me really thinking about my writing and content marketing principles. I actually jump on Tommy's show, The Cutting Room, where you can actually find it in the show notes and description as well. You can find out more about Tommy's work at contentstudio.com. So find him on LinkedIn and Twitter. All those links are in the show notes and description. Thanks to Tommy for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use to hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Power-Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel like extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. Goes a long way in others finding out about marketing pops. Thanks to Mary Solden for creating the artwork and design. And thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing Power Ups. Until the next episode.